0: Hello, welcome back to the View from the Lab podcast. I'm your host, Andy Woods. In this episode, I caught up with Kay Jones, aka the Her-Storian, and Rebecca girose Croft from Westchester Education. The main topic of discussion in this pod was how well the current GCSE science qualifications serve the diverse groups of young people who study them and how they can be adapted to be part of a more culturally responsive education. We look at the way things stand at the moment in terms of centrality and accuracy, perspective and context, and sources of knowledge and relevance at Key Stage 4. Join me in this in-depth conversation where we discuss the way things are now and how things could be improved in the future. Here's where the intro ends, as it's now time to hear Kay and Rebecca's view from the lab. Today we'll be discussing diversity in the science curriculum and what positive steps we can take to make things better. Welcome, Rebecca and Kay. Hi, Andy. So I'm going to start off with some uh, introductions. So we'll start with Kate. Would you like to tell us about um, who you are and how you arrived in your current role um, as we're, we're seeing you today?
1: I will. Um, so I'm a historian, former history teacher. Um, I set up a company called The Historian to promote diversity and inclusion in history and in history teaching. And I've collaborated and worked with Westchester. For in the UK and in the US for close to two years now. So that's how I ended up to work on this project.
0: Okay, thank you very much. And Rebecca, can you tell me about um, yourself and your, your role in Westchester?
2: Of course, yeah. So I'm content and services director at Westchester Education Services, UK and International. I'll take a breath there. (laughs) I've worked in educational publishing for over 15 years in editorial project management and consultancy roles. Um, My core attention throughout this time has been in SEN and literacy publishing, um, especially focusing on breaking down those barriers to reading for children uh, in the UK and globally. Uh, My role now at Westchester is that I lead our content and development teams in working with publishers on full service print and digital products. So from concept through to sign off. Um, But now a large part of our work is also to support publishers in embedding the principles of CRE into their products and their core values as a business.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Now, um, Westchester were commissioned last year, so at the end of 2021, to have a look at the the GCSE science specifications, specifically looking at the DfE guidance and um, linked to that, the kind of uh, the Pearson Edexcel specification, which is kind of defined by the DfE guidance. So they're very similar. Um, What was the role specifically that that Westchester played, uh, Rebecca, in that particular process? Because you did quite a few subjects, but can you tell us about what you did for science?
2: Yeah, of course. So, well, just to go back a bit further, we were approached by Pearson after receiving recognition for Westchester's CRE rubric. So the rubric, which was created by our Westchester internal teams, um, is essentially a way of scoring content and it draws from the best practices of educational, academic, anti-bias and culturally responsive programmes. So after speaking um, with Pearson, having those initial conversations, it became really clear that this brief, um, the rubric would fit really well and would be an excellent method for reviewing the Pearson at Excel specifications. And as you say, Andy, that was across a range of subjects, including science, So we then worked with Kay and her team um, who review the specifications using the rubric and then provide comprehensive feedback on highlighting the strengths, weaknesses and omissions, as well as problematic language, coverage, viewpoints and representations, noting ways um, to adjust the material to ensure greater inclusivity across the specs. Um, So then Kay then presented those findings to the individual subject teams and in, in this case, the science team.
0: Okay, thank you, Rebecca. Now, you mentioned the abbreviation there, CRE. Could you just explain to those who've not heard that um, abbreviation what that stands for and represents?
2: I'll pass that question to Kay, if that's if that's okay, because she is a specialist in this. That is here.
0: okay, yeah, okay. So, Kay, do you want to come in on that um, and CRE and tell us about um, that, that particular abbreviation and your thoughts on it?
1: I will. Um, it's not particularly well known here, and I, I am aware of that. So, CRE stands for culturally responsive education. That is a pedagogy that originated in the US in the 1990s, specifically um, as a means of combating um, chronic underachievement in black students. And now, although it was developed in the 90s, um, it has, you know, been added to uh, and it's changed over time, but it has certain core components. And the core components are what we are really concerned with and what are embedded in our review process. So the first core component is that teaching and learning must set high expectations for every student, regardless of background. The second one is that that teaching and learning must affirm students full range of identities and lived experiences so we are looking at gender at race at religion at nationality um at sexuality we're looking at everything uh you know we want students to feel good about who they are and to view their own identities as assets not as obstacles and the third one is that teaching and learning doesn't exist in a vacuum So it should be supporting the development of what we call critical consciousness. And that is, in essence, an awareness of systems of oppression, systems like racism and sexism that impact different groups. And ideally, we want students to be empowered to do something about them uh, based on the teaching and learning experiences that they have in a classroom. So this applies to science and, of course, every subject that we've looked at.
0: Okay, and so um, when you're thinking about, uh, or when you when you approach the work, when you're looking at the the specifications and the DFE requirements for amongst other subjects, but obviously we're talking about science today. Um, what was the process in terms of how you, how do you go about that work in terms of when you're reviewing those kind of things? Is there a particular system you carry out, or is it or is it more of a broad brush approach? Could you give us a bit of detail about how you how you approach those tasks?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think every person who does a review probably has their own ways. We all come from different backgrounds. Uh, We all have probably our own little systems, our little ways of looking at the world. Um, What I really want to see is that those three core components are present. You know, we want to see educational content that does support the affirmation of students and that helps them to become critical thinkers, to learn about different groups to see different groups represented, you know, beyond what we usually see. I mean, we we use the term dominant group to describe it, but this is essentially economically privileged, white, heterosexual, North American um, or European men.
0: When you looked at it as, uh, overall, I mean, what kind of messages do you to kind of reach, go, come out to you in a sense uh, when you first looked at it? Is there any, any kind of broad conclusions that when you think about that, particular uh, content that is required for GCSE science and um, what were your initial conclusions
1: well I think I think the first one that we were both struck by you know because two two people review the the spec for the DFE and Pearson it's just the sheer amount of content that needs to be got through in you know whether you're doing two year or three year GCSE you know and, and we thought a lot about how teachers can do that and how how pressed they are, their time and their resources. Um, What we did find was that knowledge in the curriculum is kind of presented as fixed. So students' ability to be critical wasn't there. Um, We didn't find any reference to the scientific contributions of different groups. Uh, We found no awareness around individual needs of students when approaching the content Um, And really limited attempts to make it relevant. Um, You know, and of course, like I say, there's just so much content there to cover.
2: Well, actually, I mean, I think I was, you know, not I wouldn't say in a majority, but a, a few people were also a bit more surprised, a bit surprised of the amount of things that were being picked up for science because it doesn't naturally, in your mind, lend itself to something which would highlight these issues. You know, we we kind of think of geography or we think of history. We can imagine that there's there's issues across those subjects. So I was actually, um, it was it was very eye opening for me and interesting for me to read the things that Kay and her team were picking up were picking up on in a science subject, um, similar to the, to the maths review as well.
0: I was going to pick you, um, Kay, up on the, the way the report was kind of um, arranged, if you like. So there, was, there were three main sections you were looking at, or kind of themes, I suppose. One was centrality and accuracy. Two was perspective and context. And three, sources of knowledge. relevance and I was just wondering whether you could give us a an idea about how you thought about those parts so let's start with centrality and accuracy what kind of things were you looking for or or, or the mission of in in that part of the, uh, the research
1: yeah so with centrality and accuracy we are kind of looking at which group is centered which group does the content really focus on does it highlight and we're thinking also about how that group is presented? Is that group presented always as valid and without critique? And although this isn't really a judgment in terms of good and bad, to move up the levels requires you to centre different groups, specifically what we would call historically marginalised groups. So, you know, specifically thinking about um, black people, about women, about people with disabilities, things like that.
0: And the kind of section accuracy, is that more about, is, is the, are the people in the spec, is, is that an accurate representation of their work or um, what were you thinking, what's the thinking behind the accuracy bit?
1: Yeah, so so accuracy um, does refer to that. So it does think about, um, you know, how these groups are presented. But like I say, it's thinking about um, how this group is treated in the content. Are they always treated as just being right? Do we ever get to see a different perspective? Do we get to empower students to actually ask questions about who is centered?
0: And I guess that kind of merges in, I assume, to the second, so perspective and context. So um, could you give me an example of that, where, where that may become more important or um, kind of add a bit of flesh to the bones on, on that side of things?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, think about these three dimensions as interconnected because they are, um, you know, centrality and perspective are closely connected, um, you know, as is relevance. Uh, but we're really thinking with perspective and context, you know, how are marginalised groups portrayed here? Um, are they seen always through somebody else's lens or are they depicted authentically? Are they blamed? Are they blamed as being at fault in their own oppression? That's the kinds of things we're looking at. You're looking at those voices specifically.
0: And I guess, as you say, um, I've been a typical science here, trying to define things and trying to put things in little <laughs> boxes, which is what um, ex science teachers tend to do. Um, but um, I guess, yeah, it also kind of merges into, you know, sources of knowledge, um, relevance. And I guess kind of what you pick to study in science. And as you said before, it's um, it's not always the first subject you think of when you're talking about um, the, these aspects, when we're talking about um diversity and possibly because sometimes science and maths to a certain extent is seen as a bit more of a um not a drier subject but more more technical I suppose you could call it I don't know if that's the right word for it um but yeah. I suppose less humans involved per mm-hmm. se in, in, mm-hmm. if you're just looking at the concepts so um was it quite um interesting just to, to have a look at science because it's I don't think necessarily science always been looked at critically in this way particularly in the past um so was it interesting from your your perspective being an you know, ex-history teacher and it being almost obviously more more relevant straight away um what were your thoughts uh, in terms of science and kind of what any surprises that you when you dug, dug into the sections that you found
1: yeah it's a good question because um there were there were some There were some surprises. I mean, I was hoping that it would look a little bit more diverse and representative than when I did my GCSE science in, I think, 2002. And it it felt very similar from what I could remember. Um, I think it's always enjoyable for me to work on a compulsory subject because the way that I see it is that when it's compulsory and with something like science where you get maybe four or even five hours a week, the impact that teachers and content can have is just is huge right even compared with my own subject with history that isn't even a compulsory subject I mean I'm not going to go into how wrong that is but it should be but I think (laughs) yeah I think it's always exciting I can't help myself um I think it's always exciting to look at compulsory subjects and so many people say oh yeah you know stem you know we can't really do diversity in stem And, you know, to try and show that actually we can, we can do it in every subject and it should be a priority in every subject.
0: Is there anything you'd want to add to that, Rebecca?
2: just to really just to echo what Kay said and like I say it was quite eye-opening for me when we were looking at the subject lists of um the reviews that you guys wanted us to do and you're working down your way thinking okay well yeah history I can see see where there might be issues there absolutely and, and geography I can see that religious studies and then you get to science and maths you think oh you know we, we might not pick too much up in, in those subjects quite naively and then you start to you, you know the Kay and her team get to get started on those reviews and actually it's exceptionally revealing as Kay said and there are so many opportunities um which is kind of the bigger message that's come out of doing these reviews to Kay's point is that there is a place for it in, in all across all subjects really um it's not it's not dedicated to those ones such as you know the humanities subjects that we would we would traditionally expect to see
0: those issues Yeah, of course. I was thinking about the, I mean, the specifications for science and the the context and um, what came out of the report was, you know, a significant amount of recall in descriptive knowledge. uh, They feature heavily in in the specifications. Um, Now, this is possibly a reflection of the kind of the Govian period where there was a big push towards, uh, obviously, a knowledge-rich curriculum. Um, I know you've looked at other subjects as well. I mean, does is science particularly skewed in that area in terms of is there is there too much recall and too much descriptive work or is that the nature of the subject? Any thoughts on that when you've you know obviously compared between subjects on your different reviews?
1: No, I don't I, I don't think that there is. I think um you know science shares a lot of without being judgmental um problematic issues with lots of other subjects um, and there's nothing wrong or obstructive, as we would call it, in having a knowledge-rich curriculum. Like, I'm here for knowledge, I'm here for fact, but what I am advocating for is an awareness that knowledge and the knowledge that we choose that goes into a curriculum is subjective, right? Michael Gove will choose things, let's just say in this instance in the history curriculum, that he thinks are relevant and pertinent and important, but I might not choose the same things. That's because we come from different worlds, and there's never any acknowledgement of that from the DFA. And I see that in science, in history, in every subject that we, that we've reviewed. So, so knowledge rich is great, but there needs to be an acknowledgement that we choose the knowledge based on who we are.
0: Um, and when you're thinking about um, you know the way obviously the, the way questions are asked or the way things are, are presented, and we talk about. Um, taking a kind of um uh kind of not evaluative but a um a higher order thinking about the things we're, we're studying so things about bloom uh, bloom's taxonomy for example um and you're thinking about science um what is what what kind of things would you like to see in a culture culturally responsive education um when we think about things like synthesize for example um how would you like uh, kind of students to in- interact with the content and i know it's maybe not relevant at all parts of the science curriculum but where, where you what, what more would you like to see that that is not really there at the moment in terms of the way students should should be responding to the spec
1: well i think generally when i approach the spec i mean i know that science is an evolving discipline i mean scientists are constantly uh disproving other people's um, hypotheses they're innovating they're developing you know we're learning new knowledge all the time and I didn't see any of that evolution reflected in the content from the dfe it was it was describe recall describe recall describe recall with no opportunities whatsoever for students to you know really get into that debate and see how things have grown and, uh, and progressed and for them to form their own opinions um and that that's something that I would I would really love to see that, because if we let students draw their own conclusions, if we give them that space, then they will grow up to, you know, achieve, reach their potential and be critical thinkers. And that benefits every discipline, not just in science.
0: Definitely. I think that within within your report, you talked about um Almost some of the topics, I mean, there will always be things in science, I guess, that will always be there in terms of the building blocks for knowledge, for further study, for example. Um, But there's a bit of flexibility, of course, in all specifications about how you um, choose certain topics. And you mentioned certain things that uh, perhaps we need to make a bit more um, obvious or maybe make a bit more more, more detail on things like uh, climate change, you mentioned, uh, sexual and physical health, healthy lifestyles. Um, disease transmission and prevention so all the things that perhaps are a bit more I, I guess you could say I don't know if the right, the right word is re- relevant to young people's lives um, compared to some things that um, were possibly chosen uh, on a pure science level I guess I don't know so any any comments you'd like to make on um, kind of topics that would uh, help to engage young people in, in, in science or, or add anything to, to those those topics you, I've mentioned?
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, there are loads of topics there that have practical, relevant, real-world implications for young people, like climate change is a huge issue. It's not going to go anywhere. So equipping students with knowledge about, about the climate, about the problems, the challenges, and, and really how to do something about it you know, that's great. And we'd love to see that. And we always want to see more of that, you know, and topics like sexual health and um, hormones, anything that helps students to be more informed about their bodies is empowering. You know, it's important and you will get the buy-in because it's relevant to them. And I think that's key, isn't it? You know, you were a teacher, you know how important buy-in is from the moment that they walk through the door.
2: That word empowerment is, is really key there, isn't it, Kay? Because it's, it's thinking about those topics that students feel they can have a conversation about and that they, um, they kind of have a right to have a conversation about, and those topics are relevant to them. And they do talk about those things within their social circles. You know, they talk about climate change, they'll talk about body image, they'll talk about, um, you know, things that, that aren't present in the spec at the moment, but that they could have a scientific conversation about whether they realize it's a scientific (laughs) conversation or not. But I suppose it's empowering them to feel like they have the knowledge to have those conversations themselves. Um, so I think empowerment is a really key part of it.
0: Yeah. And I was thinking specifically, it was interesting, some of the topics you you, you picked out, because one of them, which I, I didn't necessarily con- consider, because it was obviously as, as a science teacher, you just got to teach what's on the spec and you just go, you're going for the motions. It's interesting you made um, a point, which I'd not even considered before, which was thinking about the way in the biology topics, so looking at hormones, they're very, very focused more on the um, female ho- hormones, which is quite interesting. Do you want to add anything to, anything to that? Because I thought that was an excellent observation.
1: Yeah, well, the, I, and I'll say, Andy, that the reason you may not have picked up on it is just because you don't have the lived experience, right? So I identify as female, I menstruate, and I have lost count of the times in my life when my hormones have been negatively framed or blamed for something. You know, if I am if assertive, if I just randomly cry... Um, if I'm angry for whatever reason. And, you know, I do remember that happened, you know, particularly at school that happened. And it wasn't just me. And I'm sure Rebecca's got experience of this as well. And I wish that I had had knowledge to counter that stereotype. It wasn't until I was much older that I could say, well, actually, this is the impact that these hormones have on my body. And this is just part of who I am. You know, the confidence to do that. And because, because that is a stereotype that, you know, cisgender women who menstruate will deal with pretty much their whole lives. I think science is, like, uniquely placed to counter that and to empower us. And I think regardless of, of how you identify uh, what your gender um, preference is, you need to have that knowledge. That's the way that we counter stereotypes and we actually, you know, eradicate them over time.
0: Yeah, in a sense, kind of... um I think it almost, as you say, it's not, not completely, but, you know, pitched as though, um, you know, uh, kind of androgen hormone, so testosterone, is not mentioned in any kind of light to any great depth. Um, mm. You could go down the, you know, that link to aggression or whatever, whatever you, yeah. you know, whichever re- you go down. So it's just interesting that, um, yeah, as i say it's something that I'd kind of, um, uh, not, in, not no, just not, not not occurred to me before I saw it, but I thought it was an excellent observation. And you think, well, yeah, actually, maybe that is a, a frame and are we, even, you know, being balanced to men in a sense is that, is that there's almost a perception that men don't have hormones and women do have hormones. Is that kind of almost this like, is, in, if that's yeah. in the science curriculum.
1: Yeah. You've just hit the nail on the head. That's, that's the experience for so many, uh, for so many women, for so many people who menstruate, that is the, the one it's, it's women are, you know, governed by hormones. I mean, you'll know this in the history of science, the history of medicine, that's been, you know, that's an ancient idea and it's never properly being countered, which is why we're still encountering it.
0: So um, those are excellent topics that we've kind of identified. Is there any um, things that uh, are still kind of a bit gaping? So talk about um, perhaps um, hormones and, and things we could add there. Is there anything um, that you think that is, is still something we could re- replace? our? I'll go to Kay first and maybe ask Rebecca as well. If there anything that um, we should be putting more emphasis in other than the things we've already mentioned?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I, I would really love to see something on, you know, science in its wider context, its wider historical context, you know, some acknowledgement of that progression of the discipline. I mean, I know, I'm, like I say, I'm a historian, I'm always going to advocate for history, but it, it is important for students to think about who have the privilege to be a scientist, where our knowledge has come from whose knowledge has been essentially written out and you know i'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit later on but you know it's really important that we we have that wider picture and and that is a way of developing critical consciousness for young people for students to really think about you know to to see that science hasn't
2: always been equitable because it hasn't
0: anything you'd like to add to that rebecca
2: um, really just to touch on the, the point that we mentioned before about relevance for students today. Um, and there's something that Kay and her team um, mentioned for every every specification review we do, which is being able to see, students being able to see themselves in the materials and be able to relate to it. Um, and I think that's something we really need to think of when we come back when there's an opportunity to come back to this science specification Um, I know Kay you mentioned that most of this the 11 to 16 curriculum is traced back to the 18th and 19th century we need to just you know bring that up to speed really so children so students do feel like they're it's relevant to them and they can see themselves in the materials that are being produced.
0: So one of the challenges of science is the fact that much of the knowledge in that eleven sixteen curriculum uh, tends to be traced back to the 18th and 19th century just because of the, the types of ideas and where those ideas fit in terms of the, the knowledge building you go through as you get older through science. And they, they tend to be not exclusively but uh, kind of represented by wealthy white European uh, men who... Again, not all of them, but many of them could afford these intellectual pursuits because they had other wealth. For example, they were like the uh, gentleman scientists, people call call them, I suppose, who had the time and the money. Um, People like Lavoisier in um, France, who uh, did a lot of good chemistry work uh, until his head was chopped off in the the French Revolution. Um, But many other examples of uh, those types of scientists that, that, you know, I used to see in my science books when I was at school. Um, what's the best way to address the kind of balance in this view and kind of move away from the fact that um, all this knowledge seems to be pl- coming from a particular uh, narrow source?
1: Well I think we need to go back and think about how we can write women back into the picture because in the 18th and 19th centuries women were contributing scientific knowledge, relevant scientific knowledge But as we'll talk about a bit later on, there are specific reasons why we just don't remember that knowledge or we don't think about that knowledge. You know, off the top of my head, Ada Lovelace, born in 1815, the world's first computer programmer. Uh, But she doesn't get a mention anywhere, you know, in any STEM subjects. Um, So I think that's one way of bringing in balance, you know, and to be really honest about who had opportunities to, like you say, to pursue these intellectual Um, you know their studies you know women weren't able to study at university for most of the 19th century I mean a woman didn't graduate from Oxford until 1920 I mean that's two years after the vote so we do need to really think about who had opportunity and I think that is you know that's an opportunity for a debate with students and we all know if anyone wants to sit down and debate with us
0: and speak their mind it's teenagers yeah definitely would you like to add anything to that Rebecca?
2: just to mirror that really just to say that you know like like Kay says it's not that women weren't doing good things back then it was that actually they didn't have the voice to to shout about it and to 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 carry that story forward and to let people know what they'd done so I think it is an you know it's an important opportunity for us to be able to do that in the present day.
0: Yeah and I was thinking uh, in terms of um you were looking at kind of accessibility as well I mean what kind of judgments were you making there in terms of or not judgments say so, you know um thoughts i suppose about making science as accessible as it can be is there, is there things that um, that could be improved in terms of you know that that core i guess the GCSE we we're talking about but you know generally i suppose secondary science before it becomes uh, uh, not compulsory anymore what kind of things could we do to to make it a bit more accessible
1: well i did look i mean when i was preparing the report i did look at attainment figures at GCSE And as I'm sure you know, those figures are collected by gender. They're collected by race and also a socioeconomic group. So children eligible for free school, meals, for instance. Um, You know, what I found was, um, you know, significant underachievement of certain groups, particularly racially, uh, Black Caribbean students, for instance, they are not achieving their full potential in science. And we know it's not because they're not capable. And I I feel like a lot of it is just to do with who we are representing in that curriculum. If these students don't feel like the science classroom is a place for them, a place where they can contribute, then they will switch off. That is, you know, that's just how it is. Um, So I think better representation is absolutely key in doing that, you know, in making this spec more accessible.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking that when we've spoken before as well, um be- before the podcast about kind of the nature of science as well and whether i mean in terms of you know bringing in different voices different scientists in terms of highlighting them um and how that's done within a specification and whether you um because you, you could take all humans out of some of the concepts and just teach the concepts the scientific concepts without any kind of um human background at all you could and people i don't know what people think about that whether it be a uh, uh negative or not in terms of the understanding of the principles because so, you talked earlier about um thinking about development of ideas i mean do you think science needs almost um a a separate section in a sense looking at the de- de- development of ideas or should that be within the within the curriculum you think should it be not on that, not bolt-on but should there be some kind of um area where they look at the, the way science developed as a kind of philosophical point of view but bring in all those characters what do you think is better kind of separate or kind of just merged into all the concepts as you're going through the course
1: it's a good question um, i would always advocate for diversity to not be an add-on but to be the foundation um, you know the fact of the matter is if you strip away all of the human representation and just taught the key concepts some students would still do very well some students would but nobody else would And I want to see the academic achievement potential reaching for every student, particularly those who are currently underachieving. Um, And that's that's how we're going to bring them in. That's how we're going to up that, that raise that game. Mm,
2: I agree. Just to just yeah, thinking about back, you mentioned. Kay earlier about your GCSE science. Just thinking about when I was studying science, it wasn't a subject I took to naturally. I don't mind admitting that to you, Andy. Um, but but um, had I have not had those, you know, stories that my teacher taught alongside the concepts, I would have switched off from day one. So, like Kay said, it's it's it will work for some students and they will do very well. But in terms of inclusivity, it it, it I don't think it would work.
1: Well, I don't advocate for cancel culture I don't think the units should have their names changed I mean when I approached the spec and saw the units that was the first thing I did I was straight on Google like who's this person um because I knew they were named after men I just had that you know intuitive sense that they were named after men um because I know the background because I know the history um and I think acknowledgement of that on the spec is key because, again, that's another great point for debate with a student, isn't it? You know, did you know that all the all the units we'll use in the next few years, they're all named after men? Why do you think that might be? Well, that leads on to something else. And again, you know, if you bring in that human element and you bring in opportunities for critique, opportunities for discussion, you've got the buy in potentially. And the buy in is how they're going to do better, reach the potential.
0: I was thinking about, I wonder if you could explain for those who uh, maybe haven't heard of it, I'm sure many people have, but um, maybe give some examples of this effect. So the the Matilda effect, and are there any kind of science, you mentioned Ava Lovelace earlier, is there any other scientists that that really stick out for you in terms of, who have maybe been overlooked um, uh, in terms of history? And in many, many times I've noticed that they tended to, working very closely with the, the, the male scientists who got the, the credit yeah. for much of the work. Um, I know there are some, some famous examples. Are there any others you'd like to m- mention? So talk about the Matilda effect, and then maybe maybe a couple of examples that you'd like to highlight.
1: Sure. So the Matilda effect is a term that was coined by a historian of science in 1993. Her name is Margaret Rossiter, and it refers to the bias against that knowledge in the contributions of women to science. Now, here's the interesting bit. It was named after um, a, an American suffragist and civil rights campaigner called Matilda Gage. And she was the very first person to describe this historic bias against women, not just in science, but, in, in, you know, completely across STEM. She wrote it in an essay in 1889. It's called Woman as an Inventor. It is a great read and it is freely available online. Um, And then what happened to Matilda is that she became a victim of the Matilda effect. And it took another hundred years for her observations to be rediscovered. So it's literally named after the person who invented it, but was ironically then victimized by it. Um, In my own research, I found evidence for the Matilda effect as early as the 6th century B.C., um so that is uh yeah i've I've gone i've gone really far back with this um who may or may not have been the wife of pythagoras why people waste their time working out if she was the wife or the daughter of pythagoras i don't know i think it's a waste of time um but she contributed so much to stem she was an author she contributed to the golden mean the golden rectangle um but she's been largely written out um, you know, in this spec specifically, there was, I think, a missed opportunity to talk about Rosalind Franklin, um, who was denied the Nobel Prize, um, even though she, you know, she contributed massively to this discovery of DNA structure. Um, so so there are a few. Um, I think Hedy Lamar is one who we, we we tend to kind of gloss over. I mean, she's known as this great Hollywood beauty. But without her, we wouldn't have things like Wi-Fi and GPS, things that we all depend on every day. And, you know, the Matilda effect is ongoing. And I think it's the spec, in my view, should not only acknowledge it, but do some work to counter it. And, and to show young women and girls in, in science classrooms, science is a place for you. You are welcome here and you are contributing to thousands of years of female scientific innovation.
0: Yeah definitely I can think of um I mean lots of lots of things within um GCSE science and sp- I'm thinking specifically things like the development of the, m- the model of the atom for example is often is uh, one of the key bits of uh, chemistry uh, early on um and it's obviously a list of uh, four or five male scientists and the development of the of the atom and um, how you know is it, it again is it you talk about council culture earlier and not getting rid of you know names etc but how we can frame it a bit more um a bit more of a complete story i think in a sense it's made simplistic to for instance to, to, to i don't know to maybe easy, maybe easy to remember or easier to write a spec possibly i don't know um is there anything you do for those kind of things when there's these specific big names that are, are kind of attributed particular contributions to a, a, an idea within science um and as you say you know it, it's kind of related to the history of the time. How can we kind of... Is there ways we can address that a little bit? I don't know it's not easy.
1: There are definitely ways. I mean, if you look at the contributions, scientific contributions coming out of the Islamic world, you know, there were Muslim scientists doing chemistry in the 8th century. That's yeah. a long time before Boyle showed up. But he gets... He gets, yeah, the he gets the You know, he gets the great rep. Um, you know, things think specifically about the atom. I was reading recently about... Maria Mayer, um, she was a German scientist who formulated the nuclear shell model that finally made it possible to understand the nucleus of an atom. She was awarded the Nobel Prize in 1963 for that. So even in these, what we might call pure science, there is so much room to talk about the contributions of, of other groups and to humanize a little bit and like I say get that buy-in because it becomes relevant because the representation is there so it is it's a lot of work it's a lot of work finding and digging up stories of people who were essentially forgotten but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to do that
0: yeah definitely I kind of it's it's interesting because of the nature of the subject of science we talked about you know the technicality of it and um getting buy-in from students and some students will be able to if you like um Get value out of science just by the concepts, but others need that more human aspect in a sense to to have a buy in because they relate more on on the on the human uh, side of things, and that's why it's so important to to have you know this diverse representation of people that are, that are part of the story. And um, mm-hmm. one of the other things that I, I noticed in your report, which again I hadn't considered, and so you mentioned it, which was this idea that um, when you're looking at tiers and exams and this kind of language we use. Of higher or foundation, um, is there anything you wanted to mention about that? Because you're not—I um, uh, don't say 100 percent happy, but you know, what what kind of messages do, do you think that sometimes gives out to students or, or groups of young people?
1: Well, I mean, I appreciate that terms like foundation and higher, and I appreciate that teaching students in sets is you know has some potentially some benefits it you know it groups different students together but i don't necessarily agree with it you know i believe that we should just set high expectations for everyone and scaffold to help them get there i don't believe in separate teaching and separate learning because you put a ceiling like with foundation why is it a level is it um is it grade five they can't they can't get above that if they do the foundation paper
0: so yes, yeah, foundation, yes, right. So that's their that'll be their maximum score, yeah,
1: yeah. So to me, that's a ceiling. That's a ceiling that doesn't need to be there. Um, you know, and I feel that way across every subject. It's not just science. And I know there are arguments against what I'm saying, but you know, from a from a CRE perspective, we need to be setting those highest of expectations possible. And I'm not sure that, that capping students in that way. Is the best way, the most effective way to do
0: that? Yeah, and I'm thinking, um, it, you know, I say it does. It's, it's a cap on achievement. It's um, it's uh, a debate that's gone on for many years, hasn't it, in terms of whether you should, you should have tears, you should not have tears. It's a it's a, it's a tricky one, yeah. and you do tend to get more of that um, uh, favor for that in the math, maths and science. I'd say uh, generally from my experience in, in, in teaching, but um, and um, you know, different subjects are kind of viewed at slightly different different ways aren't they in terms of um how students access them or or their um you know they're they're kind of uh their attitude is subject to a certain extent but i suppose as you say in the way it's taught is sometimes linked into that, that kind of higher higher foundation um uh kind of mindset where i guess to a certain extent you are you know limiting someone in that class and you're saying well that's that's it now for you, you started year 10 and uh we're not going to go any higher than uh, you know level 5 Yeah four or level I mean
1: you know, yeah think about that from a student perspective you know if if they know the best they're going to do is a 5 that you know is how motivating is that really how motivating is that to really push yourself particularly if you're interested in pursuing science further on it's not motivating and students all know what paper they'll sit because we tell them so i do yeah i think there's i think a rethink I would personally love to see that. The alternative, I'm not sure exactly. And I know, like I say, there are arguments against it. But I do think if we take a real critical look at it, we maybe are putting a ceiling on achievement and motivation.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I was thinking um, in terms of, you know, we've we've had kind of quite a wide-ranging discussion about, um, you know, diversity in science and, you know, a lot of the issues we still haven't resolved yet. Um, definitely. Uh, I was wanting to ask both of you kind of a uh, kind of final question really about, you know, what you'd like to see really, if you, you know, had a, uh, a magic wand for a better, for a better word, and what would you like to How would you like to see things change? So, when we um, eventually go through another uh, reform and exams changed, um, and the DFE sets some new criteria for awarding bodies to kind of unpick and decide how we're going to develop that qualification, um, what would you like to see more of in the guidance? Um, and I'll go to Rebecca first on this one. So, Rebecca, what do you think about. Um, what you would like to see knowing knowing because you've looked across obviously lots of subjects as well i mean i'll go can I come back okay
2: yeah i actually asked my niece about science um she's studying her gcse's at the moment and okay and she finds it quite difficult and uh, she she doesn't come to it very naturally but actually she's 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 very good at it and she could be better um and i asked her about you know what what she's sitting and what she's learning in class in the classroom and i think one of the things that we've talked about here is relevance and making sure topics are relevant for young people and bringing in those topics that they can relate to and they feel empowered to have conversations about um so for me on a kind of a more personal level from from talking with her i think i'd i'd really love to see more relevant topics within the spec um, and a move away from this top down approach where we go, you know, DFE to exam spec. To textbook and that's that's all they they're getting. Um, I appreciate that that is that that system is you know it's systemic across the the whole industry. It's not a Pearson isolated issue. Um, but I think changing the way the whole the structure and that that top down approach we have at the moment is really integral to get to getting those relevant
0: topics through to the students. And uh, Kay, what are your thoughts on? Um... An ideal, you know, some improvements, basically, at least it's not going to be perfect, whatever happens. But, um, you know, what is the what's the ideal really? What are we trying to aim for? What would you like to see in, in a new new specification set up by the DfE? And obviously, with awarding bodies, looking at how we present that to a certain extent. Um, so what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I do agree completely with Rebecca, that that relevance being centered, um, you know, thinking about ways that we can empower students to make healthy choices, to make better informed choices. Um, you know, on page one, I would want to see. We are mindful of the Matilda effect and we do not want to perpetuate it. Um, I'd like <laughs> yeah. to see a reference to Rosalind Franklin in there. I noticed that Marie Curie was missing in all the discussions about um that really
2: surprised so. me. That really surprised me. Uh, yeah, I was yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, we, we were pretty shocked by that. Um, you know, one of the kinds of things that I would like to see is that acknowledgement of the wider historical context, um, you know, contributions from the Islamic world particularly as well, um, you know, weave in, like we said, not bolt on ad at the end, where it's you know, not meaningful, but a more holistic um spec, perhaps less content would would make that easier for teachers because we have to remember that you know teachers are time poor we've said this before haven't we and and the support needs to be there for teachers um yeah i would those are the kinds of things i'd definitely like to see in that
0: yeah almost if you 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 take a few things out to the spec that are obviously someone's got to decide what those things are and there's always arguments about what is what are the things to take out of the spec but yeah a bit more room if you like to be able to uh, spend a bit more more time on um Give me a bit more context on, on on this kind of science story and and the ideas behind it. And you say, uh, you know, a greater you know w- worldview and uh, slightly away from the North American European uh, view of yeah. um, of science. Uh, so yeah, well, and and those faces that have been underrepresented in the past. So mm-hmm. is there anything else you'd like to add up? Because we're coming to at uh, the end of our conversation this afternoon. I've really enjoyed um, chatting to you this afternoon. Is there anything else you'd like to to mention or? Anything you'd like to direct uh, people towards in terms of if anyone wants to find out more about the things we've been discussing today. And um, I'll I'll go to uh, Rebecca on this one first. Anything else you think people should check out or or follow on social media um, in terms of kind of getting this enriched um, curriculum for science and all subjects?
2: I'll I'll let Kay answer that question specifically. I was just really going to say that um we, we touched on just just before that this is it is not an, a Pearson isolated issue. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, make that really clear that this is systemic across across our industry really, but that Pearson really do have the opportunity to be on the forefront of this positive change. Um so I hope this hasn't come across as as a negative or anything like that. It's really a positive thing that we've done this review, um, because, like I say, you can be you can be leaders in making making that change for the better.
0: Thank you, Rebecca and Kay. Anything any final parting words you'd like to um, share in terms of, as I say, anything that people can either read, watch, um, follow on Twitter, um, other than your good self, obviously the the hair historian. <laughs> um, anyone else you'd like to mention?
1: Um, well, firstly, I would just reiterate what Rebecca has said there's no judgment from us and you know all we hope is that we can help to uh, promote positive change and this really is industry-wide this is not just happening in the UK even it's happening in North America too no. it's happening in the West Europe I know that from my own experience I think a really nice place to start might be to read Matilda Gage's um, essay Woman as an Inventor um, and obviously follow me because i do uh, a lot of work on on the history of women in stem it's become a bit of a obsession for me in the last year um but yeah with the essay it's so good
0: okay thank you very much well i appreciate you coming on thanks for coming on to the podcast and it's a really interesting discussion and um you know, raised lots of important issues that I hope will continue to be at the forefront of um, uh, educational decisions as we, move, as we move forward through the next um, few decades. Uh, so thank you for joining me today.
2: You're very welcome. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy.
0: Hope you enjoyed our discussion today and it made you think about science education through a different lens. Both of my guests can be found on social media, where they often share what they've been up to. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can find their great work. If you're looking for some resources to enrich the diversity of your science curriculum, please do head to our Scientific Spotlight series, which is available on Pearson Edexcel's Why Science Matters page. And again, I'll put a link in the notes. If you enjoyed this episode of the pod, please feel free to share it in your own network. It only remains for me to say thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.